Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show. If this sermon sounds familiar to us, even with its now strange existentialist approach or its paradoxical and dialectical language, it is because this is the sermon form that has been utilized by most of us. North American preachers for the past 50 years. The preacher begins with an assessment of the human condition, then after having rummaged about in scripture for some text that allegedly speaks to the problems raised by the preacher's characterization of the human condition, presents that as a biblical answer to current human questions. First practiced by theological liberals in Germany, then wholeheartedly embraced by Protestant mainline preachers in the United States after Harry Emerson Fosdick, this has become a favorite sermon form for so-called evangelicals like Rick, Wollen, Rick Warren or Joel Olstein. We're all 19th century German liberals now. That is uh, written by William Willimon, who is commentating on this sermon today that I'm going to be bringing to you in the third in our series of the sermons of Karl Barth. Uh, this is another one from early Barth. This is from April 29, 1917. And this is a, a sermon that is greatly influenced by really one of um, one of Barth's chief, uh, chief mentors, I would say, at least theologically, uh, both Barth and Boltmann were heavily influenced, at least in the beginning, by Wilhelm Hermann. And Hermann is somebody that actually grounds a lot in the individual's encounter with God. And I think that later on, Bart changes his theology and his thinking a bit uh, because he actually goes beyond just this individual affair and realizes that... Um, that God is much bigger than our individual experience, that God comes to us as God is and resists all our attempts to make God over into a divinity that is more compatible with our humanity. So this is sort of um, an anomaly, I think, maybe in the sermons of Bart and early Bart and where he's going to eventually go with his theology. But this comes from April 29th, 1917. And so as we await the day of the Lord and as we're getting into uh, really, the Advent season fairly soon, in just a, about a month and a half here, uh, we we really maybe could find ourselves stopping and listening to this sermon in that light and thinking about the coming day of the Lord as we wait for and hasten to the coming day of God. So uh, sit back and enjoy, <laughs> grapple with, wrestle with um, this sermon that, that comes from Second Peter 3.12 from early Karl Barth, 1917. Here is part three in the sermon series, The Sermons of Karl Barth on the Voices in My Head podcast. Dear friends, wait for and hasten to a word spoken as if straight from the heart of the Bible. In it one hears a festive sound and song inviting and promising. It also contains something majestic and sublime, also unapproachable, a jubilation as if sung by angel choirs, the sound of rushing as if from underground springs, a great rumble as if from far-off thunderstorms. 
It is something so oddly clear and revealing, but then again enigmatic, mysterious, concealing, as when a lightning bolt lightens the whole landscape only to leave it again in darkness, or when a curtain goes up only to fall again, or when a voice speaks out clearly and in a friendly way, but in a foreign language. A word spoken out of the Spirit of God. And therefore, dear friends, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, must open our ears so that we may hear what the Word has to say to us. Wait for and hasten to. That is the answer of the Bible to a human question. The question itself stands in the Bible and in more than one place. The question is, what shall we do? This is the question one asks when one once realizes that one should do something other than the usual. It is the question, for example, of the rich man when the meaning of his wealth and situation of comfortable well-being becomes questionable, when his money and beautiful home have become uncomfortable to the point of being a little sinister. It is the question of the young woman when she becomes aware that nice clothes and marriage are not the total of what a young woman should think about. It is the question of the pastor when his position and peculiar dignity in the midst of worldly life strike him as odd. It is the question of superficial persons when they become anxious about their soul. It is the question of the philanthropists who are full of goodwill when they realize how little help one can really give human beings. It is the question of the politician when in quiet hours his political skill strikes him as suspect. It is the question of the businessman when he is not fully satisfied with what he is doing, but is driven now and again by a mysterious disquiet, so that he glances down with the question, Where have I come from? And where am I really going? It is the question of the housewife to all those small but important things she does are not as meaningful as they once were. It is the pious, the question of pious persons who have been, so to speak, tapped on the shoulder and no longer enjoy a completely peaceful sleep in their quiet homes. All of them ask, what should we do? The answer of the Bible is, wait for and hasten to. It is valid for each of us, just as at the bottom the question is asked by all of us. There is in us all a kind of track, like a railroad track, onto which we have been rolled and on which we are still rolling. We all know of our own holy rightfulness, a right on which we rely and which we spread out before us like a carefully written and advantageous bank statement. For one person, this holy right is called my character. For another, my view of life, which is naturally in unison with that of all good and right people. For another, what I have learned from experience. For another, my Christianity, or my views in important matters, or my politics, all thought out in my own head. For another it is called my family, or my husband, or my brother, and for yet another it is maybe only me, myself. I am of course important, and I rightfully place myself above all others. Look well. This track on which we are rolling, this holy ride on which we rely, is a, as a, is a human being, and with the human each of us is well acquainted. But each of us also knows that there is something in the world that protests against the human being and its right. Something that puts us all in question by asking about the real meaning of the you and yours, and, so to speak, by striking through our neatly done arithmetic like a teacher who has found it wrong, there is an experience that ruins all our other experiences. 
There is an insight that causes our previous views of things to be thrown out. There is a kind of wake-up call that intends energetically to wake us from the sleep we have been sleeping till now. There is something in us that wants to shake us up and throw us off our usual track. A voice that calls, whether loudly or softly, you should not just keep rolling like a railroad car on your accustomed track. You are not a railroad car. You are a living person, and you must be your own mover and move yourself. And if we then, still dull with sleep, do get about the business of doing something in response to this voice, it will be half joyful and half in dread, partly convinced that something has to change, and yet partly clinging to the old, holy right that we do not want to let go. Then a question emerges, as if it just popped up by itself, a question that wants an answer and yet is also rather peevish and defensive. What am I really supposed to do? To this very human question, the Bible gives this answer. Wait for and hasten to the coming of the day of God. Indeed, the Bible often gives our remarkable questions remarkable answers. What is really the human being with its own holy right, which, as we have said, all of us are well acquainted with, how is it possible that we all have rolled like rail cars so happily and securely on our different tracks, and perhaps still do? What drives human beings so actively and persistently, such as, for example, people from all the world to business center of Uric? What makes a young lad so impudent and fresh? The pastor so solemn and officious? The members of a political party so agitated and quarrelsome? Men so proud and self-conscious, women so attentive and sensible, superficial persons so amusing, and pious persons so strict and serious. What makes a human being just a human being, each with one's own small or rather infinitely important I myself, my own? It all comes from one astonishing source. We all belong to God. We all have something of God in us, a part, a splinter, a beam of God's light, a branch torn from the tree of life. God is with all of us, and for God, each of us is right. I say that unambiguously. For God, each of us is right. Our own holy right is really a piece of the righteousness of God. Whoever we are and however we live, God says to each of us not no, but yes. God says yes to the laughter of amusing people to the crying of those who are in sorrow, to the quiet work of the farmer working in his acre, to the busy cleaning and ordering of the housewife, to the accountant of the, the counting of the merchant, to the studiousness of the pastor, to the watchfulness of the soldier at his post, God says yes to very different persons, to those who can take life lightly and live happily, and to those who drag themselves and life from place to place with heavy sighs, to those who are gentle and mild and to those who are agitated and passionate, to those who are able to handle any situation, and to those who constantly protest and have to defend themselves. Overall, and for all, the great and patient yes of God is spoken. Yes, you may and should be just what you are. God says yes, even when we confront one another with our different views and standpoints. Human being may judge us wrong, but before God, remarkably, we are always right. You wish to be Catholic? You may. You are a socialist? That you may be. In your heart you burn for the nation, the fatherland? That too you may do. Are you dedicated to abstinence, 
to a pietistic community, to a cooperative program. That is wonderful. That for God we may do all these things. That each may be oneself. That each may express oneself like children at play. That each may run one's own course. Everywhere something of God's righteousness runs along with us. We would not be so passionate, so self-conscious, so sure if we did not belong to God. Even all the security and surety with which we keep rolling on our accustomed tracks is something we have from God. We could not be so fresh, so hot-headed, so hard, so quarrelsome, and behave so badly without this divine right that runs with us on all our personal ways. The whole fervor, too, with which we say I and mine comes actually out of the memory that I belong to God. Certainly something evil can happen and has happened in us when we speak and hear about this truth. It is God who says to us in such a friendly way and so patiently, Yes, you may and should be what you are. But when we hear this yes and accept it and then push God aside, that is when it turns to evil. How sad it is that precisely this is what we we ever again do. How sad that we want without God to assume this right to be what we are. What a pity that we smash this God-given vessel and run on with a mere shard in our hand instead of living with the whole. What a pity that we, like foolish boys, break the limb from the tree with the result that it withers. Now the truth turns into a lie. Our music sounds off-key, I and mine, without God. Now our right becomes empty without God. We become such ridiculous little rail cars instead of living beings without God. Our opinions and points of view protrude so uselessly, like the ruins of an ancient robber baron's fortress. So poisonously do our different characters collide, so devoid of understanding and with such hostility do those who belong to one social class, one political party, or one religion pass by those of another social class, political party, or religion. Such dreadful confusion have human beings themselves caused with the result of war, world war, only because we do not want to hear and understand that we may go our ways with God that God wants to be with us as we go our ways. This is the evil day of humanity, this confusion which began with the fall into sin of the first human being, that human being wanted to be like God, without God, against God. It is no wonder that we cannot remain calm and secure in this confusion. It is impossible in spite of the great and patient yes that God has spoken over all of us in spite of God's divine right that everywhere and with each of us runs a little along with us. We do not accept it from God. Instead, we want to seize it for ourselves. That is why we must be in hell and torment. From time to time, a thick line is drawn through our arithmetic, clearly showing that it is wrong. We become aware of what it means to run along one's way without God, and that we are in hell and torment. We are shaken by a shaking that wants to throw us off the dead track. The war, the revolution in Russia, the precious time we have left, the death that now and again enters a house, the nagging disquiet in one's conscience, the silent discord in many families, the emptiness in so many lives that leaves none satisfied, and the awareness that all this should not continue among the peoples of the earth. It knocks at the door, calls, speaks, and gives us no rest. 
What is all of this? Look again. How remarkable. Here again is God. God who certainly must now say to us, not yes, but no. We cannot escape the fact that we belong to God. God never lets us leave God. If we have misused God's goodness, then we must experience God's judgment. And yet God's grace is in both. That is why the thought has seized upon some happy and distinguished people, such as Francis of Assisi in his youth and Count Tolstoy shortly before his death, that they must put everything behind them in order to get away from their wealth and situation of comfortable well-being. That is why there are ever again persons who, without having especially bad deeds on their consciences, all at once cry out in their souls, Wretched person that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And in torment want to change fundamentally, to convert. That is why there are socialists and anarchists who are discontented with everything and want to bring down all that stands. That is why many pastors today are no longer the peaceful men of church and friends of everyone like pastors were 50 years ago. That is why there burns in all of us such a hot, unquenchable restlessness and longing for something better. But that is also why we cannot get away from it all. Why all this has to be, because the heavy line through our arithmetic, the shaking, the question mark over our whole being comes not by chance, but from God. It is as if we were compelled not to feel at home in the world that is abandoned by God, but must desire that other lost world. God moves in a restless conscience and in a head full of stirred-up thoughts. God grumbles in the discontented masses, sighs in the millions of those who weep, and is angry in the thousands who know how things are. As God has given us all our, our rightfulness, so also do we all feel necessarily the divine protest, the divine accusation and threatening. When one looks out of the hate-filled eyes, God looks out of these eyes too. When fists are made, God is there with these fists. Swords are sharpened and God will know how to use them. That is the other side of the truth, the judgment, the divine no, the shaking and perhaps the ruin and destruction that threatens our whole being. We can also misunderstand this of the truth, and we have misunderstood it a thousand times. We can hear the divine no, and yet not want to hear God. Here too we can seize for ourselves what belongs to God and pass God by. Here too the human being can take the upper hand and occupy the center of the stage. We can even give away and sacrifice everything, ourselves too, without God. We can want to change ourselves from the ground up and convert only not to God. We can grumble with the discontented, scold, make fists, destroy, but without God. We can be consumed by the pain of our conscience and by the desire for what is better and remain a great distance from God. Then the confusion becomes vexation. The day of human beings becomes darker and darker, hell ever more terrible, judgment ever more severe. What should we do? This question, which is the question of human beings, stands again before us. We know now from whence it comes. We stand under the patience of God and under the judgment of God. And we have failed to recognize, have not wanted to recognize, God in either, in both. At one time, we only want to hear the yes, and so to be what we are, but not in and with God. At another time, we only want to hear the no and to renew and change ourselves, but without becoming new in God, without becoming anew with God. What should we do? 
Yes, what should we do when we do not want to do the one thing that we should do? We know what is to be done. Wait for and hasten to the coming day of the Lord. The day of God is the day when God will be acknowledged as right. The same patient and passionate God that we ever again refuse to understand. That will be the day when God will bless us through his goodness and purify us through his judgment. That will be the day when we hear both from God's own mouth, both the yes with which God gives us our right to be what we are, and the no with which God puts away our falseness, all that is wrong, and consumes it with fire. It will be the day of salvation from our confusions and the day of the end of our restless disquiet. Will the evil day of human beings ever end? Wait and hasten, wait for and hasten to the coming day of the Lord. Give God the honor. Place yourselves on God's side. Not you are what is important, neither what you are nor what you become, but God and what God is and will do through you. Hear both the word of God's unending patience and the word of God's consuming passion. Only hear them as God's word. What should we do? The day of God brings the answer. God is the answer. Let us only take care that we are able to hear it. Amen. Well, that is the end of our sermon. And we heard very clearly that the day of the Lord is both our mercy and our judgment at the same time. Pretty powerful stuff. Even though Bart's still working out his theology and, and what exactly it will be one day, um, we can see a lot there. I think we see as we're into the third sermon of Bart here that we've looked at, He's pretty good at building up what we call straw men. Uh, he sets up one premise and, and that we are always in the yes of God. But then he kind of tears that down to say, no, we also have the no of God coming at us as well. It's a lot to ponder and, and think about. Um, there's really a, a lot to think about in this sermon, actually. So I'm going to leave you with that today as uh, we think about and reflect on what he says again and again in that sermon as he speaks about the day of the Lord that we are to wait for and hasten to the coming day of the Lord. And I encourage you as you wait and listen and pray and think through Second Peter 3.12 to wait for and hasten to the coming day of the Lord. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head, and uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. And I guess I should say to Carl Bart, thanks for being the voice in my head this week. Thank you for joining me here this week on the Voices in My Head podcast. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com, follow me on Twitter at rickleyjames, like my artist page on Facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames, and keep up to date on what I'm writing at my author page on Amazon.com. Make sure to follow my calendar on the website, and if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement, or a book event, you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for Pair Booking Agency. That's P-A-R-E Booking. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the Internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace, who raised Christ from the dead, strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore. Amen.